children go back. I've been preaching through the book of Exodus, and I uh, think I'm going to continue to preach through the rest of the book of Exodus, and I'm thinking it's going to be uh, maybe four more messages, which will bring us up to uh, Resurrection Day. And we left off at chapter 20. I want to preach on chapters 21 through 31. Obviously, that's a lot of chapters. Um, so it's going to be a pretty minimal message uh, through, that, through that part there. Um, but through that, just to give you a little outline, 21 through 23 are laws and judgments. And that's, the, that's where I'm going to be pretty much at this morning. Uh, verse 24, order of worship prior to the tabernacle. Uh, 25 through 27, instructions for the building of the tabernacle. 28 and 29 is the call and cons- consecration of the priesthood. Verse, or, uh, chapters 30 is specific instructions. The altar of incense, we heard, talked about that this morning. And the laver and the anointing oil. And verse 30, or chapter 31 is the call of spirit-filled craftsmen. And the Sabbath reinforcement. Uh, the next message um, would be in chapter 32, where we'll find the golden calf, the apostasy, uh, judgment of the and intercession of Moses, table, tables of ten commandments written by God himself and broken by Moses. Uh, the third message will be around chapters 33 and 35. Um, and then I'll just save all that. And then the fourth message will be the construction of the tabernacle. Now last week we, toward the end of the message, after God spoke the Ten Commandments, okay, He spoke it to them, after the people heard God speak with Moses, God gives a message to Moses that He is to deliver to the people. In Exodus 20, 22, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you golds of gold. Gods of gold. About 43 days later, in Exodus 32.1, just 43 days later from God telling them not to do that, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come out of the mount, the people, and I'm kind of going through and taking parts of the verses here. The people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand. They fashioned it with a graving tool after he made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And we all go, Oh, my word. 43 days after God spoke to him and said to him not to do that. Today I want to preach about that time period of the 40 days that Moses was on the mount. <clears throat> this was certainly a period of testing and a lesson on patience for the Israelites. Anytime you see a period of 40 in the Bible, and I'm not a big like numbers person and go crazy, but 40, you look at 40 and it tends to always be a time of testing, trials or temptation. And I could list off a bunch of them uh, to you. Nineveh was one. You know, 40 days you're going to be judged. The purposes of trials and temptations is that they 
reveal very important things to us should we endeavor to examine ourselves in the process. In Exodus chapter 21 through 31, there are some great revealings. And from that, I will entitle the message, The Great Wilderness Reveal Party. The Great Wilderness Reveal Party. Let's pray. Father, there is much to learn through these chapters. There is a message you want to put into our hearts that is very serious. And Lord, I pray that we would catch it, that we would be drawn to it, that we would endeavor to hear and to do what you're trying to tell us to do and to be in life. You're a great God. You're a wonderful God. You're a terrible God in the sense of who you are and how amazing and, and how strict you are in your word, but all for our good. Now, Father, again, I pray that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, reveal number one. Through this, the revealing, there's the revealing of what the people of Israel were like. <clears throat> now, you might not have thought about this, but we're going to see a list of laws here. Now, I'm not going to go through all the laws. I would like for you to do I did that one night, and you'd think it was, it's really disturbing. I mean, some of these laws, it's pretty amazing. But I slept like a baby after that for whatever reason. Maybe it'll help you go to sleep. But read those and ask God to show you some things. <clears throat> but it reveals to us the operation of Israel, the work of their hands, the particular sins that they struggled with, and it's not a very pretty picture. In our flesh, we want to think that God called out some kind of deserving people. These were special people, weren't they, that must have called out, you know, above everybody else in the world. A people that was godly and moral, but not so, not so. He called out a group of sinners. Paul said this concerning the Jews' specialness, if, you, if that's a word, in Romans 3.1, he said, What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. These were people that handled the word of God, that God called out to do that. That's about it. Exodus 21.1 says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If, they buy, if thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Now, I'm not going to go through the rest of this. It's just going to take too long. The Israelites, though, were well versed in the use of slavery. <laughs> and God didn't condemn it, by the way. But he did make it very clear that they could only be for six years. It kind of falls in line with the six days that thou shalt work, and the seventh day is a day of rest. There's like a, there's like a theme of this, and God has things that he does of themes that he wants us to dig into and to understand. However, at the choice of the servant, it said that he could decide to serve his master forever, and they would bore his ear into the, uh, the doorpost, I think it is, with an awl, and he would serve his master forever. It would say, and there's a whole message we could put into that. But without taking time to read these several chapters, it's revealed that the Hebrews had issues with mistreatment of women, 
problems with anger and killing his neighbor, stealing, mistreatment of parents, trafficking, wife beating and that of a pregnant woman, irresponsible with their animals and their actions, immorality, taking advantage of the poor, the fatherless, widows and strangers, witchcraft they had a problem with, bestiality of all things they had a problem with, lending, borrowing, trusting, and the equity in them they had a problem with, idol worship, marrying outside of the faith, harshness, filthy eating, Sabbath regarding issues, feast keeping, and making deals, leagues, covenants with the ungodly. That's the people they were. The first reveals that these people were bad people in general. God referred to them several times. He would use the term stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. They were set on evil. A second reveal is that of the difference of killing. Corporal punishment killing and war killing. Sometimes people struggle with this. The sixth commandment was thou shall not kill. That was just, you know, 40 days before. Yet God incorporated punishment by death many times. Verse 12, he says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. Now, we kind of do that, but don't we struggle today with that? And he that smiteth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. We don't do that. Smiteth him. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrificeth unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Now concerning taking of life and war with those who God will take out, in verses 20 through 24, he said, Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place where I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly throw them, overthrow them, and quite break down their images." This is the second reveal. Killing, as in the sixth commandment, is sin. It is personal wrath and anger that one kills a man that is condemned. It is not talking about national war or corporal punishment. We see here very clearly that God instituted that. There is people to die. Jesus gave an expository explanation of this in Matthew 5 21 he said you've heard that it was said of them of old time thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill be and whosoever shall kill 
shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool, thou shalt be in danger of hell fire. Thou shalt not kill is an indictment against personal hate and carrying that out. We are not to do that. The third reveal. The law cannot conquer sin. The law can only tame sin. Sin is like ants. I'm already going to start this. You ladies are probably going to get all nervous about it already. They never stop coming in the house. We can take measures to keep them out, but we can never eradicate them. Mice are similar. The law is like new mouse traps. New mouse traps are being invented all the time, but mice cannot be conquered, only controlled. And the key to control is no clutter, the prevention of access, and in the consistency of setting mouse traps. No matter what you do, it does not eradicate the mice, nor does it stop them from coming in. They'll find the tiniest crack to squeeze into. Sin is like mice. Sure, they love a food source. A sloppy life and an unclean life is a crummy life, and those crumbs attract mice. Even if you have a clean life and remove the attraction of food, sin, like mice, will be attracted simply to the clutter in your life. They can get food elsewhere, but they can make room in the clutter of your house. What is the clutter in the Christian life? For one, it's the place where we store the things of the world. Garages, barns, basements, the things we store, all these things that we think we need to have, all the things of life is clutter. But that's a place for sin to get in and, and take root. Storage units. My goodness, I can't believe how many... One is, I can't believe how many mini barns <laughs> go up around. I mean, how many people are involved in that business. And then storage units. I mean, just tremendous amounts of them. Another form of clutter in the Christian life is falling or failing to live a simple life, a daily life, a consecrated life, a contented life. A life that scriptures say to be content to have food and raiment and godliness that says godliness with contentment is great gain. Try to find that person. Satan is there's a lot of room for sin to creep in and make its, make its home, just like mice. Just saying this, the law reveals that it cannot eradicate sin. It can't. Just think about it. <clears throat> we have local, <clears throat> excuse me, state and federal officials in the legislative branches that have done nothing else but every day to work to construct new laws. It's never ending. Laws, more laws, more laws. It'll never end. They will never eradicate crime. Now I'm going to get into Tim's camp here a little bit. But they do feed the sheepdogs, the police, who guard the sheep from the wolves. But the police will never eradicate the criminals no more than the sheepdog eradicates wolves. But their work allows the sheep to live more peaceably. 
the fourth reveal. There is a difference between God's law and national law or governmental law. The difference between judgment of God and judgment of government today started when Israel asked for a king. They rejected deity judgment for human government. They accepted sight, and that's what you see. If you listen today and listen to things, you'll see they accepted sight over faith. They chose temporal over eternal. They chose religion over church. They gave up many things. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 6, says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Verse 8, according to all the works, listen to this, this was hundreds of years later, according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day. There's always reference back to these people and what they did. Wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him a king. And then dropping down to verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, listen to this, Nevertheless, and man, basically he told it, you know, your kids, your children, they're going to be taken captive. They're going to work for this. You're going to be taxed to death. You listen to all the complaints we have in this world. So that's what's going to happen. He said, but they said, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have us, have a king over us. That we, listen to this, that we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, I'm going to bring you back to remember what the people said at the base of the mountain, at the voice of God, giving the Ten Commandments unto them. Exodus 20, 18, this was last week, and all the people saw the thunderings, saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us. The same, same thing that came back of wanting a king. We don't want God over us. Let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. For God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be for your faces, and ye sin not. God is calling our church and our families unto him into that thick darkness. Into his secret place. Remember the message from David Gibbs out of Psalm 91.1? 1? 
He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. First point, that he does all things well. Point number two, that he is in full control. Point number three, that we are to praise him. Verse 21. And the people stood afar off. And Moses drew near under the thick darkness where God was. God's judgment was more severe than a king's judgment. Therefore, it put a greater separation between those who would do right and those who would do wrong. That's what you do. A strong uh, law and a strong enforcement of it and a strong result of it prevents things from happening. There's a clear separation. In its nature, it reveals to us that we're all sinners. It points to reckon ourselves as sinners. It requires people to need a Savior because they can never, they realize they'll never, you can never get out of sin. Human government respects rights of all. And because it's human-based, it's humans at this level, and it's humans doing it, it has limited power to govern between man against man. It, even though it does that, it does not have judgment between man and God. That's where it falls short. Here are some examples of separation between government's law and God's law. And he that smiteth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. You see, man, at man's level, can't arise to that and incorporate that. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. But the ox will want to push his horn in times past and have been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but he that hath but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall be put to death. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrifice unto any god, <laughs> think of this law in the law today, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Here is how we affect the government for our good. We need to be a church that is governed by God's law. Not man's law. Not water it down. You say, how, how do you do that? Well, let me tell you how it's not being done. In the case of, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. When it comes to Halloween time, there's no good in that time. We should not suffer that witch to live. We don't make little parties and get next to the world with that stuff. We need to be serious about the God's calling us into the thick darkness, folks. Into where he's at, into the secret place. 
That's just one little thing. There's a common verse we call on for revival. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But I'd like to read that in its context. It'll give you a little bit different thought on that verse. Though true as it stands by itself. Second Chronicles 7 once says, Now when Solomon... Now you would think that verse would be in the, in the midst of just troublesome times, you know. <laughs> it was actually in the best of best times that that verse is made. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying... The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, For He is good for his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests waited on their offices, the Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord. Because his mercy endureth forever, when David praised by their ministry, and the priests sounded trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. Moreover, Solomon hallowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the fat. Also at the same time Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him a very great congregation from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day they made a solemn assembly for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month he sent the people away into their tents glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed unto David, and to Solomon, and to Israel, his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house he prosperously effected. That's an interesting word, prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. He says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, in other words, in a future time, if these things begin to happen out there, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. 
Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. This church, God's house, His place, His people, is important to revival for the healing of the land. We must draw under the thick, scary cloud unto God and obey His every word. But I want to make this point to your family. We saw where God's people rejected God and wanted a king. But let's read the preceding verses concerning this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. This was said just prior to them wanting a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. We're only a generation off, folks. I'm fixing to leave here for too long. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's another 25 years <laughs> at best. I have physical difficulties that may keep me from preaching too long. Listen here. You. You and your sons. You need to pass it on. This can't happen. Samuel made an ill mistake. His sons weren't prepared for the ministry. They were left off. We're going to have to look at what God's law is. You read those. The world will tell you different things about how to raise your children. God places some very important things on it. We best be listening to that. This church doesn't have to follow the world. It doesn't fall under the government, folks. You, as a Christian, don't fall under the government. You don't have to uh, try to make their ways your ways. Your children don't fall under the government. You better be serious about it. Let God's laws and judgments reign in our churches, in our homes. And I'll give you the last verse, but 
but let me make this statement. You need to walk under that dark, scary cloud with all the noise, the terribleness of God. And you need to walk up underneath that cloud into that secret place. God is an awesome God. He's, he's biblical. But Moses says he wants to prove you. He wants to show you what a great and wonderful God and all his protection underneath that. And we can step back and we can make excuses. But we need to draw close to him. Verse 21, and the people stood afar off. And Moses drew near under the thick darkness where God was. With the pianist coming, and heads bowed and eyes closed. It's one way or the other, folks. You either, you either draw away or you draw to them. Call unto him all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Or cling on to your old stinking worldly ways and draw away from him. God has something more for you under that, that ominous cloud and that fearfulness that we come before. He's God of love. And he only does this to protect us. may reject you and walk out from you, say all manner of evil against you. But live for God, speak for God, and do for God, no matter what men may say, no matter what men may do. God never backed off, never did he back off. set aside the truth to draw somebody closer to you. Be against his nature. Be against God. But when you go close to him, you abide under the shadow You know, I had Joel, he was sitting at the table, and Patty had this cup of hot tea. And I went over, and I, I didn't know it was, I put my hands on it, I was like, oh, that's, man, this feels good on my hands, you know, just warm. And Joel said, well, I want I said, well, I said, it's, it's, it's warm. It'll be okay. Joel. And then Joel backed off. He stood afar off. I couldn't get him to put his hands on it. He wouldn't trust me enough. I was telling him that was good. Now, maybe I've given him reason not to trust him because I do some little things to him sometimes every once in a while <laughs> to surprise him. 
but it was kind of a picture you know of what we do when God says it even though it doesn't feel right and it seems harsh maybe we just need to trust and put our hands on that cup and we'll feel that warmth and that specialness in it let's pray father thank you for your word I pray you spoke to our hearts today in a mighty way Oh God, that we'd be encouraged to live for you, to love people, but to give the truth and love, not to set aside truth. I don't know what to say, but what you've said to us already, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.